0: One person said yes, so we'll call. Well, I'm I'm grateful you're here with us tonight to celebrate uh, the most important thing to ever happen. If you're watching online, welcome. Uh, We'll just call that the sick service because everybody who's sick is watching online right now. So sorry you had to miss it. It's way cooler in person. Um, So uh, yeah, I want to talk about the most important thing to ever happen. But um, before we get into tonight, um, I want to <laughs> I want to do something really important. I want to give you a list of my of my favorite Christmas movies because that's an important thing to do right now. Um, But here's the deal. So you know how Mosaic is a church for people who don't think church is for them? You know, that's like, I think that's who we are. Um, Well, this is kind of a a list of Christmas movies for people who don't think Christmas movies are for them, okay? So like, for example, if you don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, you're not going to like my list, okay? You're not going to like it. Uh, So here it is, and this is in a particular order. Uh, Coming in at number five is uh, the movie Hook. Um, You know, Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Bangarang, you know that one? Great movie, right? Well, there's a Christmas tree in it, so it's a Christmas movie, and it's my fifth favorite. Um, coming in at number four is uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe movie. So, and I have to include that because it's a C.S. Lewis thing. But, um, you know, it's always winter, but never Christmas, and Narnia until Aslan shows up. And then, Santa. I mean, Santa's in the movie. If Santa's in the movie, it's a Christmas movie. That counts, um, number three, slightly controversial, because you probably don't remember it. Um, well, you remember the movie. Uh, the Newest Spider-Man. It was, a, it was an awesome movie. If you guys didn't, a, all three Spider-Man show up. It's great. If you, ever, if, if you didn't know that, and I just spoiled it for you, you're way late to the game anyway. So um, at one point in the movie, he, Spider-Man's like swinging through a building. I think it's a mall, and there is Christmas music playing in the background. So it's a Christmas movie, and it's awesome. So that's number three. Number two... Um, is really the entire Harry Potter series is, is number two. Um, strangely, First Service clapped for that. You guys don't seem to care. Um, okay, that doesn't even count. <laughs> Your clapping is sad. Uh, but here's the deal. I mean, in almost every one, there's Christmas trees and stuff. But if you look at the overall plot, it's a story about a baby came, how, how a baby like, came to defeat evil, Sounds pretty Christmassy to me. Anyways, um, number one, uh, I was gonna ask for a drum roll, but he's not there. Um, And I'll fight you, this is a Christmas movie, Rocky IV, okay? And if you're like, I don't understand, listen. One, snow everywhere. Two, Rocky cuts down a really big tree that's like a Christmas tree. Three, fights Ivan Drago on Christmas, okay? So the climax of the movie happens on Christmas. It's a Christmas movie, and it's great. So, um, you got a week to catch up on your Christmas movies. I just gave you a great list to start with. Um, I've watched none of those because I have kids, and I have to do what they want. So, uh, well, I hope it's been a good season. I know it can be a blur. I can't believe it's already just a week before Christmas. Um, so, can we do something tonight? Uh, can we? Can you? I don't know, like, pause your brain. I know you got presents to wrap and cookies to bake, and there's a family member that you don't want to see who you're going to have to see in the next couple of days. I know all that's true, right? So you're, trying, you're thinking about that. You're doing all the stuff, and you're... Can we just, can we just pause it all and just kind of be in the moment tonight? Pray with me again, would you? Jesus, uh, I ask for that, Lord. I ask for a, a peace tonight. I ask for the supernatural ability <laughs> to not have thoughts invade for us to be present here tonight uh, to reflect on what you've done and the reason we celebrate. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, Christmas is an awesome time of year, and I always feel like I have to say that because I have been accused in my life of being a Grinch, so I always have to say, it's awesome, Christmas is awesome, um, but I, I think I've come to the conclusion, I'm really reflecting on the season uh, here, and it, what, it, what Christmas time does is it kind of enhances whatever you're going through. Have you noticed this? That Christmas, it really kind of just highlights what you're going through. So if things are good, Christmas time makes them even better. If things are bad, Christmas time makes them feel worse, right? If you're happy, Christmas time makes you even happier. It's great. But if you're hurting, man, Christmas can feel like the twist of a knife sometimes. So in a weird way, I've kind of come to the conclusion that Christmas just kind of spotlights... Your current state. So if you, you know, if, you, if you got engaged this year, you got married this year, you had a baby this year, or you graduated, or you got a, the, the big new job or whatever, Christmas time kind of makes all that better, right? It just kind of feels even better because all that stuff's happening. But it works the opposite too, right? If you have that strained relationship, Christmas seems to stretch it even further, right? If you thought you were going to have a ring on your finger and you don't, hurts even more. Or you thought this was going to be baby's first Christmas and, and you don't even have a bump, hurts even more. Or your kids are going to two separate houses this Christmas and you hate that. Or there's, there's that empty spot at the table or that empty seat in the living room and this time of year makes that hurt even more. For some of you, I know there's a box of decorations you couldn't even get out this year because it was just too much. So again, Christmas is absolutely magical, but that magic seems to not care what you're going through. It's just going to highlight whatever it is. So here's what I want to do. I was joking between services. I'm like, listen, if you're happy, you don't even need a Christmas sermon. Everything's great for you. I'm going to talk to you if, this year, if you've gone through some stuff this year. If you've had some disappointments, if you if you had some expectations and then reality was was something else, uh, especially want to talk to you tonight. If you're coming into the Christmas season limping a little bit, and you're hurting tonight, and I want to tell you a Christmas story uh, that you've never heard before. Um, I guarantee it. I know you came in. And you're like, okay, he's going to preach out of like Luke two or whatever. And nah. Mary, Joseph, sheep, shepherds. I got you. You got that. Um, I'm going to rewind. Before the first Christmas, I want to talk to you um, about something that happened 2,000 years before the first Christmas, 2,000 years previous, uh, about a guy named Jacob. So if you're a church person, you know the name, right, Jacob? uh, His name actually um, means deceiver, right? Right. Uh, and he lived up to it, or down to it, depending on how you look at it. He actually was kind of a deceiver in his life. He twisted things. He manipulated people. It cost him relationships. He had a very strained relationship with his dad, um, an even more strained relationship with his brother. They were at each other's throats all the time. Um, he his <laughs> his love life was complicated. Um, does Facebook still have that status? Can you put that as your status still? Like let, married, divorced, it's complicated. That would be Jacob. Jacob's was complicated. And here, let me explain it to you. Um, he had two wives at the same time. <laughs> uh, four baby mamas, four, but only one love of his life. Doesn't that sound like the advertisement for a reality TV show, right? Like two baby mamas, or two two wives, four baby mamas, but only one love of his life. Watch on AMC tonight. Um, but it's just, you're supposed to laugh. Um, do we have cues for that? Okay. Um, it's just the book of Genesis. It's just Jacob's life. It's kind of a mess. But he really loved this girl, Rachel. Like, loved this girl, Rachel. He was smitten with her from the moment he saw her. Jacob worked hard labor for 14 years just to be able to marry her. Like, that's how much he loved this girl. He just loved her. Now, I don't want to paint him as some, like, perfect romantic and some great husband. He really wasn't. He made a ton of mistakes, like, and they weren't small. He made gigantic, huge mistakes. But he really did love her, like, a lot. His whole life. And uh, they went through a lot together. Jacob... And Rachel, uh, they struggled with infertility early in their relationship. And man, that caused a strain on their relationship. It, it caused a lot of friction. Um, it was just hard. It was just hard. Uh, but it, but, but it, didn't, it didn't tear them apart. I think it caused a little bit of separation. But they, they ended up, I think, on the other side of it, closer than they were before. Um, and eventually, eventually, eventually... She gets pregnant and uh, she has a son named Joseph. And from that point, things go so right for them. So right for them. Um, they have this baby. Uh, they, they become very wealthy, which is really cool, uh, right? That'd be awesome. Um, but don't get too jealous of them. Back then, uh, wealthy meant that you have a lot of sheep. So, like, that wasn't like wasn't that cool. Um, but they have a baby, they're wealthy. Uh, she ends up pregnant again. So things are just going amazing. And on top of all that for Jacob, uh, he throughout his life, God shows up in Jacob's life. And I mean like literally, God would show up and actually talk to Jacob and he would tell him things. And one of the big things that God um, was after with Jacob is his identity. Uh, so God shows up and he changes Jacob's name from Jacob, meaning deceiver, to Israel, which means uh, one who wrestles with or strives with God. Um, and it's a really important thing that happens in Jacob's life because if you've ever struggled with like who you are, like your identity, um, you would really associate with Jacob because, like I said, he got named Jacob, which meant deceiver, and he really kind of wove that into his DNA. So God comes in and God says, No, 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 nobody else tells you who you are. I tell you who you are. And God wants to, 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 allow Jacob to live up to who he created him to be. And now, if, you, if you've ever gone through a transformation like that, where, where God wants to get a hold of you, and God wants to mold you into the person he created you to be, you know that that's a journey that, that requires a lot of reminders. So all throughout his life, God just keeps showing up and saying, you're not Jacob anymore, you're Israel. You're not Jacob anymore, you're Israel. And God keeps doing, even though Jacob continues to fail, continues to operate out of his old identity, God keeps reminding him of who he is. So while Rachel is pregnant with this second baby, God shows up again and he says, Jacob, I haven't given up on you yet, dude. I still want you to live as Israel, not Jacob. So uh, it happens in this place called Bethel. And man, I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments with God where you're, you're just kind of overwhelmed by the fact that he hasn't given up on you yet. <laughs> But Jacob had to be riding high as he, le- as he left Bethel. I mean, think about the situation Jacob is in. He's, he's got the girl married. He's, he's got kids now. He's got the career. And on top of that, his, his relationship with God, his spiritual life is going awesome as well. So everything for Jacob is going great. He has got to be riding high, leaving Bethel. But shortly after they leave, Rachel goes into labor. And uh, I mean, just imagine that. I got so nervous when my wife was pregnant and like going, you know, I'm going to have the baby. When they go to the hospital, you have like the best medical care possible. And they just like stopped on the side of a dirt road. Like what a crazy thing. And, and she goes into labor and it doesn't go well. Uh, it's long. It's difficult. She's having a hard time. And uh, she ends up giving birth to another son, but labor's been too hard, and she's, she's not going to survive. And the, the way the story's written is it kind of it just points to the fact that everybody knew, including Rachel, that she's not going to make it. Thank God the baby made it, but she's not going to. And with her last breaths, she names this new baby Ben-Onai, which means son of my sorrow. And um, I think the reason is because just as everything came apart, came together, it fell apart. Just as everything in her life had reached this point that she'd been working for, she wasn't going to be able to enjoy it. So right there, at this point, Jacob's love of his life dies. And again, the... I mean, think about this from Jacob's perspective, the life that they had worked so hard to get, they finally had, but then they don't get to enjoy it together. And, and if you've ever lost someone, you know that it's not just the loss of the person. And certainly that is a massively impactful thing, but, but it's everything around that too. It's, it's your hopes and your dreams and your plans and the enjoyment of the things that are even happening currently that get affected. It's like the bomb goes off and there's a blast radius around this full of disappointment and pain. This was devastating to Jacob, absolutely devastating, the blow he did not see coming. There's these verses in Genesis 35 that kind of sum it up, and I just kind of wanted you to see the the highlights, or I guess lowlights of these verses, and uh, starting verse 19, it says, Rachel died and was buried, and Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb, and Jacob journeyed on. And I think that kind of sums it up. If you've ever been through something like this, if you've ever had something massively painful or disappointing happen in your life, the thing happens, you mark it, and you journey on. And what Jacob learned is that losses and sorrow and pain don't stop you. They go with you. They go with you. You leave a pillar and you carry the pain. And that's Jacob here. He marked the spot. And for Jacob, it was a physical location, right? He's marking a physical location. But for you, you, you have some spots, right? You have some pains in your life. You have some, some markers, and they may not be physical in this world, but you've got them here, right? You've got the pillars on your soul. You've got the scars on your soul from the pains and the disappointments of your life. The reminders of your, your greatest pains, And just like Jacob, you know that losses and sorrow and pain don't stop you. They go with you. So even though Jacob journeyed on, he carried the pain. Isn't that one of the hardest parts if you've ever experienced loss like that? The journeying on part. Because you feel guilty. I bet he did. But he went on because he had to. But he carried it and he carried it his whole life. Did you know Jacob talks about Rachel on his deathbed? Like years and years and years later, he still talks about Rachel. Genesis 48, seven, uh, he's, he's making this big long speech and he says, so with great sorrow, I buried her there beside the road. You can almost feel it in that. Just a, just a couple of words there that his lips still quivering and his eyes are still welling up with tears talking about this moment. It messed him up for the rest of his life. The pillar was still there, and so was the pain. Now, there's a detail in this story I left out. It's a really important detail. Um, really important for you, if if you're going through something this year, if this year didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, if you're coming into the Christmas season and, and you're limping a little bit, and you, you're carrying some pain, and, and, and The things that you're disappointed in are are having a spotlight shown on them. If you experience loss this year, this detail is so important to you. So important. Rachel died on the outskirts of a small town. It was a little city. Um, Back then, no one had heard of it. Barely a dot on the map. Barely. It was obscure and irrelevant. For Jacob, it's the worst place in the world, right? Anybody have something like that where you associate a place with something that you don't even like the place anymore and the place didn't do anything, but you just don't like the place anymore? All Jacob knew about Bethlehem is what he buried there. The nameless town represented his pain. And you know the name. You do. Everyone knows the name where Rachel died. Rachel died in the little town of Bethlehem. That's the place of Jacob's greatest sorrow. Bethlehem. (laughs) Now that's crazy, right? That Rachel died in Bethlehem? Because you don't know Bethlehem for that. You don't. You don't know Bethlehem is the place of Jacob's greatest sorrow. You don't know Bethlehem is the place where Jacob buried the love of his life. You don't know Bethlehem for what was buried there. You know Bethlehem because of what was born there. You know Bethlehem is the place where God came down. And that's crazy. That the place of Jacob's greatest pain is the place where God showed up in the greatest way. That's, That's a profound contrast between those two. That the place of his greatest pain is also the place where God shows up in the greatest way. 2,000 years before the first Christmas, all's Bethlehem was known for as the place where Rachel died. But that wasn't going to be the end of the story with Bethlehem. And if you can't see the significance, I mean, that's, that's wild. Of all the places where God could have chosen to come down, of all the cities where Jesus could have been born, of all the locations for God to invade this earth. He chose Bethlehem. He chose to show up in the place of Jacob's greatest pain. <laughs> That's wild. You know the song, O little town of Bethlehem? How still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. mean, those first two lines, they really kind of capture how you feel if you've ever had something devastating happen in your life. How still we see thee lie! You ever noticed how, when you're when you have something devastating happen, it almost feels like time stops, like the pain seems to just drag moments out above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. It's quiet. It's dark. That's how Jacob felt. He could have sung those first two lines, but you know the third line in that song. Yet in thy dark streets shineth an everlasting light, a a light that pierces through that darkness. And then it says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. What a profound line. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Hopes and fears are met in Bethlehem. That place where Jacob experienced his greatest pain God showed up in this great spectacular way and there was this intersection happening. And the crazy part is God didn't just show up in Bethlehem, right? He didn't just show up there. He transformed it because Bethlehem is not known as the place where Rachel died. It's known as the place where Jesus was born. It's not known for a funeral. It's known for a birthday. It's not known for crying. It's known for singing. It's not known for darkness. It's known for light. Bethlehem is not known for what is buried there. It's known for what is born there. That's a pretty epic transformation. I'm guessing if you would have asked Jacob that like shortly after Rachel died, hey, do you think God could transform Bethlehem? He would have said, not a chance. But God did it in the most spectacular way possible. Now listen, we're talking about things that happened 4,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago. That's a long time. But I actually believe and I really do believe that there's something here that's important to your life. Because I think this is actually the way God works. That he, in this story, is kind of showing us in very big letters what we can't read in our own life because the fine print is too small for us to see. That like Jacob, you have a Bethlehem. And you've buried some things. And I believe that like Jacob, the place of your greatest pain is the place where God wants to show up in the greatest way. I really believe that. The place where something is buried in your life, God wants something to be born. What was an end can also be a beginning. I really believe that. And I think, I'm going to make an assumption about you, I don't know you, but I'm going to make an assumption about you, that you want to believe that. That when you look at some of the things that you've buried in your life, you want to believe, man, I, I want to believe God could show up in that. I want to believe that, that this could also, what it was an end, it can also be the beginning of something else. I want to believe that God's going to do something with that. I want to believe that. But you have a question. It's a question that kind of naturally pops up. It's the same question that Mary asked the first Christmas. So in Luke chapter 1 you know the story. An angel appears to Mary, and he tells Mary she's going to have a baby. <clears throat> and like, that's crazy for Mary, right? And then he says that the, this, this baby is going to be the son of the Most High. Don't know what that means, but that's crazy, right? And then the angel says that this baby's kingdom is never going to end. There's a lot of pressure for this infant, right? There's a lot of stuff that this angel is saying to Mary, and Mary asked the question. It just kind of naturally comes out of her verse 34. <laughs> but like how though? <laughs> right? How, how you going to how, how is this going to happen? That's the question Mary asked. And part of the reason is cuz Mary hadn't done the things necessary <laughs> to have a baby, right? So Mary is Mary's thrown by this. How can I have a baby? I haven't done all that yet. I'm just going to say it like that cuz I know we have kids in here. You're welcome. It's a fun van ride home. What did pastor mean? when he, Never mind. How? How? By the way, side note, pause the sermon for a minute. Pause. Um, if you're like newer and you're like, wait, 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 you guys believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? Yes, we do. I like literally do believe that. Um, but I just want to point something out. I'm not trying to be like up in your face, but kind of a little bit, just a little. Can I get a little bit in your face? Yes, we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. But do you realize, I feel like if you're an atheist, you believe in the virgin birth of the universe? You ever thought about that? Because we're talking about things that don't have causes, right? And you're saying that can't happen. Something can't happen without a cause. And I'm just saying, hey man, let's pick your miracle. The beginning of the universe or the virgin, you know, virgin birth of the universe or the br- virgin birth of Jesus? Which one do you want to believe? Honestly, you have more faith than I do. You do? Unpause. You're welcome. It's free. It's all free. I'm just kidding. So she asked how? 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 Here's how the angel answers. Verse 35 the angel replied the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you so the baby will be born holy you will be called the son of God now that's a crazy answer and if I could sum up Mary asked a how question and the angel answered who did you catch that? she asked how angel answered who and i want to point out that's normally the way god does this i don't know if you've ever asked god how before but you typically don't get an answer back from those kind of questions it happened in the old testament there's lots of times where people would ask god how um, and never once did God go, okay, I'm gonna write this out for you. Actually, you know what? We'll put it in a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet and I'll just give you every little thing that I'm gonna do, here you go. Like, here's my, here's my way it's going to happen. Here's my how. He never does that. Matter of fact, there's a pretty consistent theme <laughs> where God will say back to them, uh, actually, it's a couple of places where he says, um, has, my, has my arm lost its power? That's his response to that question, how. He basically pulls up his divine sleeve and he's like, can you, can you feel this? Like, I, want you, I, I just want to know, am I not powerful enough to do this? God's answer to your how is who? How are you going to do it? And God says, I'm God. I'm God. You can do anything. So when you have your Bethlehem you have your thing, your worst thing that's ever happened to you, the place of your greatest pain, the places of your biggest disappointment, that dream that died, that relationship that's no more. And you're wanting to you're looking at that thing right now and you're in it and you want to believe that God will transform, you want to believe that God will move. You ask the same question, how? Right? When you're in it, the pain's too deep. Everything feels cloudy and misty and you, you want to believe that God could show up. You want to believe that God could transform but you have to ask the question, how could you work in this? And Jacob would have asked it too. But the answer to your how is who? It would have been for Jacob, right? If, if God would have come to Jacob, Jacob, hey, I know you hate Bethlehem. But I'm gonna transform that. And Jacob would have been like, how? God would have said, Jesus. And Jacob would have had no stinking idea what the heck God was talking about, but that would have been the answer. Jesus is gonna show up and he's gonna change everything about that city. Same's true for you. Same's true for you. I don't know how. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's Christmas, so I, I, I know less of you than normal but like I can look at faces in this room and I know some of you are going through stuff. And if you come up to me afterwards and you go, okay, Adam, uh, you told me that God's going to show up in this. I just want to know how. If you ask me that, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't stop me from believing that he will. That doesn't stop me from believing that, that not only is he going to show up, that he's going to transform it. But I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be It's not gonna be how though, it is gonna be who. It's gonna be that Jesus is gonna show up in your life in a way (laughs) that you never would have thought. So every year, (laughs) I struggle with these two major holidays. I don't know if you guys know this. Christmas and Easter are really hard for pastors. You should pity me um, because it's hard to preach sermons about the same thing over and over again that are mildly interesting. And every year I debate, and I've already said it tonight, When I hit Christmas, I'm like, that's the most important thing to ever happen. And then when we get to Easter, I will say again, we're here to celebrate the most important thing to ever happen. And you're going to go, okay, pastor, which is it? Um, And I'm going to like, I don't know. It's kind of like the Jordan-LeBron debate, you know, like who's better? I don't know. Jordan has the six championships and never lost in the finals. And LeBron's at the top of every major statistical category. Who's better? I don't know. They're both awesome. It's kind of the same thing with Christmas and Easter. Which one's the most important thing to ever happen? Well, yes, they're both important. Christmas matters a whole lot more because of Easter, and Easter couldn't have happened without Christmas. They kind of need each other. Christmas being when Jesus came down, Easter being when Jesus died and rose again. They're both important, both the most important thing to ever happen. You can't be in awe of the wood of the manger without attaching it to the wood of the cross. You need them both. Man, I I want you to know that. um, Like what it means to be a Christian. I just, I know that um, there's a lot of different opinions about like what that means. And maybe you're sitting here going, I don't don't know, I don't know. Or maybe you think you know what it means. I just, being a Christian doesn't mean that you're like a good person. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you like vote for a certain person or party, thank God doesn't mean that Um, more people should say amen to that Um, being a Christian doesn't mean that you have your life together being a Christian doesn't mean you have to be like kind of judgmental jerk to everybody even though some of us are being a Christian means that you believe that Jesus died and rose again and not just that it was this thing that happened but that it happened for you that like you actually are kind of the opposite. Instead of thinking you're a good person, you kind of know you're not and you need something. You have a lack in your life and you want to look to God and say, God, I need you. And a Christian is somebody who puts their faith in what Jesus did on that cross and they trust it for them. And what happens then is you, you, uh, God gives you a a relationship with him um, and and a future home in heaven if you've never done that before, I really do believe that like stuff like this, I know you got invited here tonight and you can explain all that, but I really do believe that God wanted you to be here. And that maybe tonight could be a beginning for you, a beginning of a relationship with God. And you don't have to do anything to make that happen except for (laughs) surrender. Just kind of open your hands up. You don't, have to, you don't have to get it together. You don't have to go home and, like, I'll, I'll go home and, like, work at it for a while. Nope. You just, you just give him your life and your relationship starts. He did all the work already. So, whatever you're going through this Christmas season, it's been rough. Look at this story Rachel dies in Bethlehem and it's awful and 2,000 years later God just transforms that and you didn't even know that's where Rachel died he transformed it to the point that even if you've been a Christian for a really long time I have people coming up to me after my aunt um, and my parents are older they both come up to me and they're like I didn't know that I'm like I know you didn't know that that's why I preached on it because I wanted to surprise you and for you to think I was awesome thank you um you didn't know it. And I think that just proves my point. What I'm trying to say is like, you didn't know it because God so powerfully transformed it. So powerfully showed up that you didn't even know the bad thing. That's how much he showed up. And if God can do that on that grand scale, don't you think that whatever thing you're going through, he can show up in that too and transform in that as well. Christmas is not just for the cheerful. Christmas is not just for the jolly and the merry. Christmas is not just for the happy. Christmas is not just for the person who has the engagement ring or has the baby or or has the thing. It's not just, and if you have all that, I'm happy for you. Christmas is not just for the pain free. Christmas is especially for you if you're hurting this Christmas. Especially for you because it's about hope. Christmas is about hope that God will not leave you in your darkest moment. That that light will pierce through the darkness. That God will show up in your pain. God will show up in your disappointment and he's not just going to be there. He can transform it. Hope that where you buried something, something can be born. Hope that that darkness you feel is not a tomb but a womb those two things can feel very similar but they end in completely different places hope and you don't know yet you don't know if you're in it you don't know how it's a hope and I don't want to ruin your expectations but you know 2023 is going to have some pain in it too you're going to have some Bethlehems in 2023 as well, looking forward. And I wonder if you could walk into your Bethlehems with the expectation of knowing that even though this hurts right now, I know God's gonna do something with it. If he showed up in Bethlehem the first Christmas, he can show up in mine. God can show up and change everything. That's what Christmas is about. Would you pray with me? Jesus... I pray for the person right now who maybe they walked in here and they don't have a relationship with you somebody invited them they showed up maybe willingly or maybe unwillingly but Lord I, I, just, I just pray that you get their attention tonight you tap them on the shoulder you, you put a pebble in their spiritual shoe Lord don't leave them alone from this point forward. I pray that they would be looking over their shoulder and every time they looked, they'd see you because you're chasing them. And Lord, I pray for the person who's hurting right now, the person who is carrying pain into Christmas, the person who's limping into Christmas. Lord, I pray that you would be especially with them, that they would look at Bethlehem in a completely different light now, that they would see that the way you showed up in Bethlehem the first time is the way you can show up in theirs that the place of their greatest sorrow can be the place where you show up in the greatest way. I pray that we would all remember that this is what Christmas is, Lord. It's light shining in the darkness. It's your ability to step into a situation and completely transform.